0: Good evening, Browns fans, and welcome to OBR Weekly for May 18th, 2021. I think it's May 18th. Yeah, it's May 18th, 2021. My name is Barry McBride. I am a web dork and an icon of manliness, and I will try in vain to keep this thing rolling for the next hour. Alongside me are two stalwarts of the Cleveland Browns scene uh, for, uh, uh, you know, the past couple of decades or so. (laughs) <laughs> Mr. Fred Greetham and Mr. Lane Adkins. How you doing, gentlemen? Peachy, now yeah. that I can hear.
1: Happy, happy, joy, joy. Let's do this.
0: Let's do this thing. All right, first thing I want to talk about is uh, uh, Rookie Camp. And, Fred, you were out there at Rookie Camp uh, for the one afternoon that it was open to the general uh, media uh, or to the credentialed media. Um, were you able to see the action or were you uh, two kilometers away?
2: Well, actually we were on the back, they were on the backfields, which is off of beach street. Anybody that's been out to training camp, that's the way the, where the fans enter to, to go to training camp in the old, old days when they used to have training camp open to the public. But, Yeah, and so the players practiced on those fields right in front of us. If you – anybody saw my Twitter videos, um, the running backs and JOK and those guys were working out wide receivers right in front of us. The big guys were on the other farther away. So I got some close-ups of of the specialists. But, you know, when you have 29 coaches and 18 (laughs) players (laughs) – you have more coaches than you do. You know, I've right. never seen that type of scenario. I mean, three coaches were literally working with JOK. Three coaches mm-hmm. were working with Greg Newsom. There was two other uh, corners. So there was three coaches and three corners. It was unbelievable. The They ought to had all kinds of personal attention, you know, for that. But, no, they yeah. didn't do any. Obviously, you couldn't do any team stuff because you didn't even – have enough to field the team.
0: Right. Right. Well, there are two guys I wanted to ask you about, and it sounds like you maybe got a, a good uh, a good look at one of them, but not the other. The two I wanted to talk to you about were Johnny Dixon and uh, Marvin Wilson. And if Wilson was on the, other side, of the uh, uh, other side of the field, he probably can't tell me too much about him. But with Johnny Dixon, um, were you able to see him at all?
2: Yeah, actually, he was right in front of me. One of the first videos I posted was him running drills with Anthony Schwartz. And they were they were only fifteen, ten, fifteen yards in front of us. Um, he's smaller. Um, he was just there on a tryout, very quick. He has better hands than Anthony Schwartz. I'll tell you that. Mm. But um, I don't know. I don't know what you know, his future is going to be, you know, as far as they got so many wide receivers to begin with. And then you brought Schwartz in. So, but Marvin Wilson, I did see him. He, they were on the far field, but then they did bring him down closer to us to the field close. And I actually got a group shot when he was lined up, Um mm-hmm. you know, wasn't doing much. They're just kind of doing walkthroughs. They're not really even, you know, running plays or anything or going through, but you know, he look he looked solid. Um, the one that stood out to me was Malik McDowell. That's a big man. He's tall. <laughs> he's like six, six, he's 295 pounds. He just looks really athletic, you know? So, um, you know, I got, yeah, I got a good look at most all those guys. We didn't see him do much because they were just, like I said, just going right. through, the motions of what do we do you know i think that was the whole thing just the coaches to say this is what we're expecting so when you show up whether it be otas or or the mandatory mini camp if they have one they'll at least have an idea what they're doing
0: right all right it'll be interesting to see uh How many people actually show up for OTAs and then uh, when we get into mandatory minicamps, it starts getting really interesting. I'll talk about that in a second. Uh, Lane Atkins, Johnny Dixon. Do you see any potential in this kid? Oh, Lane left. Lane left. Um, I don't know. We have technical issues or so on and so forth. I will ask that question when he comes back. We have uh, NFLPA fighting the NFL and uh, uh, the NFLPA, of course, J.C. Treder went back out and published a letter yesterday that essentially said, um, look, we... uh, uh, we don't want anybody to, <laughs> we don't want anybody to, uh, any veterans to participate in on-field OTAs, and, uh, <laughs> and uh, the, the uh, teams, of course, have this complex series of phases that they want to use to, there's Lane, that they want to use to sort of get players back in. Uh, Fred, have you heard any scuttlebutt about, uh, from the players? Was there any mention from the coaches of the players over last weekend about wh- whether they're expecting the team to show up in person for OTAs, you know, as we get into June?
2: No, I mean, Kevin Stefanski was asked that specifically, and he, you know, gave the standard answer of, you know, hey, You know, we're just preparing as if, you know, and and doing what we can control and getting ready. And basically, I don't even think they really know. Um, We did get a report, you know, from, I think, Brad that a few of the guys, you know, veterans that showed up today. But as far as, you know, it's really interesting because I think the Raiders are showing up in bulk and some of these teams might be saying, well, gee, you know, this is a chance for us to get a leg up on some of these other teams. And so if they don't all stick together, you know, it's going to be kind of mayhem. And then you have the injury to like, I think it was Jawan James, you know, that could be out 10 million or, you know, in 5 million next year. So this could really get sticky with, you know, the, the NFLPA. You know, I understand they don't want to go through these things. But you got some younger guys that have bonuses and they're trying to do everything they can to make the team. So Mm -hmm. it's kind of a a double-edged sword.
0: Yeah, really hard for them to resist. Lane, are you hearing any buzz about uh, whether one side or another is winning this standoff between the NFLPA and the NFL, specifically as it pertains to the Browns?
1: Well, supposedly players are going to be coming in the camps and there's going to be decent numbers. And then you come to Cleveland where you got the NFLPA president, J.C. Tretter, who's in-house, and it appears that we're going to see minimal participation from the Cleveland Browns, guys in the locker room. So it's just interesting how that's all playing out, and it's really unfortunate because you like to get the guys in there and at least just be hands-on a little bit. So we're going to see how this plays out, but right now it's, it's not an advantage Cleveland right now.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, I think we're all old enough to remember – what was it, uh, 89 or 90, somewhere way back in history, uh, there was a uh, uh, players sort of walking out and then replacement players coming in. And the Cleveland Browns jumped the gun to get back in. Gary Danielson came back in to play quarterback during one of the replacement games so they could get a leg up on their on their competition. And you may see the same thing sort of emerge here where teams are motivated to get into practice thinking that it will give them some sort of competitive advantage. Um, It'll be very interesting to see this play out. Uh, I will be writing about it as much as possible in the insider blog and uh, we'll continue to document it as it happens on the uh, front page. Uh, Walt Stillwell asked a question, which I think is good in this particular context uh, about what sort of action uh, we would expect to see uh, during the uh, three preseason games. Uh, given, you know, this, uh, you know, off-season uh, contest between the NFLPA and the NFL. Um, you you have any guesses on that, Fred, what we're going to see in preseason?
2: You mean as far as, you know, How much the starters to will play,
0: oh, things like I that? I think
2: it's just going to be condensed where the first week they're going to play maybe a couple series instead of one, maybe – maybe 3 series and then i think the you know your s- second game will be i think it'll be very much similar i think what you're going to eliminate is the fourth game when no veterans start because the third week the third game which is the final one if if i'm right they play like sunday night and then they're off for the the opener isn't for 2 weeks it's like right or at least a week and a half. So it's not like in the past where that, you know, it looks like it's a little different. So I think you'll have the dress rehearsal probably in the third game Mm -hmm. and where they play a half or so, but yeah, it, it, if they have training camp, which we assume, and then the preseason, that'll be more than they had last year where they didn't have any games and they just started the regular season and worked themselves, you know, into it. So I think that's what you'll see this year is kind of how it has been in the past.
1: Right. You're still going to have a situation where you're going to see these guys on the back end of the depth chart are competing for those last spots. You, you, you have to see those guys on the field. You got to see them in live action. So, you know, it's, you know, it's one game shorter, week and a half shorter. You're still going to have to see these guys compete. So it's just what it's going to come down to.
0: Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, So it'll be interesting to watch it develop. Certainly we will cover it as close as we can uh, from our vantage point here in Cleveland. And it may seem like it was a month ago, but it was actually just six days ago and we haven't had a chance to talk about it, that the 2021 schedule was released. We have done a a lot of discussion of that uh, this year uh, or over the last week or so, You know, when the schedule came out, uh, a lot of analysis of it, but I wanted to get your guys' perspective uh, on this schedule Uh, It's an interesting one, uh, starting with Kansas City and then uh, a lot of games with the AFC North toward the back end of the schedule. Uh, Do you think that that plays well to the Cleveland Browns, uh, that it does the Cleveland Browns favors? Or do you think that the Cleveland Browns uh, could have had a better schedule? We'll start with you, Fred.
2: Well, I think that to me, I've been saying this. It does matter how many games you win in the regular season overall, but to me, it's all about winning the AFC North. You don't want to go and be a wild card again. If you can win the division, that's the guaranteed way to get in the playoffs. Those two games back-to-back with the Ravens are strange because for the Browns, they play Ravens by Ravens. Whereas I think the Ravens play the Browns, then play the Steelers and then play the Browns. So the Browns are going to have that buy, even though it's late, it's going to allow them to regroup and heal up and put all their sights on the Ravens for, you know, best basically for three weeks. And, and I think that could go a long way in determining the outcome of the division, because I really think that it's going to be Baltimore, or Cleveland. And, and so those head to head will be big. You got to take care of the other business, but as far as you know, the Packers game on Christmas, obviously the schedule makers are assuming Aaron Rodgers will be playing. If he's not playing, that could be a quite a strange game up in Green Bay on Christmas Day. But, you know, all the way around, yeah, I do think it it allows the Browns to get to to come together on defense you're going to have, I bet you nine new starters out of 11 and much like the offense last year, really put it together in the second half of the season. I think the defense will get better and better as the season goes. And uh, you know, and so I don't, I don't think there's anything as far as the chiefs opening up with that. I think that's good. You know, you're going to have maybe high expectations going this year if you drop the season opener, the Chiefs as expected on the road, that might that might put you a little bit under the radar. And uh, you know, and then you can take care of business and you could probably win three, four in a row after that, even if you don't, you know, beat the Chiefs. So, you know, all in all, I think it's I think it's fine. It's favorable. The buys a little later than it should be to help them, but all in all, I think, you know, I think it's pretty fair. They have four or five primetime games.
0: Yeah, you know, as you would expect with a team that is expected to be as exciting as the Browns are. Uh, Lane, question for you in the uh, chat room uh, mm-hmm. from Rachelle. Uh, wants to know what your favorite <laughs> dinosaur is. You have a favorite dinosaur?
1: Oh, let's go Brontosaurus. <laughs> uh,
0: that's a big fella. My big favorite fella. dinosaur.
2: <laughs> How about the T-Rex?
0: As a vicious dinosaur, I'd have to say mine is a Velociraptor. That's, it, that's it, a good it is, one. It is a perfect organism for killing things. And as a huge fan of the Alien movies, uh, I respect that uh, in a dinosaur. That it, well, you, has are one the, purpose. you are the
1: web dork here.
0: I, I, <laughs> boy, oh boy, you know. Uh, you uh, you asked me dinosaur question, I'll give you a long answer on that one. But uh, absolutely uh, Velociraptor for me. Uh, brontosaurus and T-Rex, I think those are three of the big, uh, the big dinosaurs. Uh, moving on, uh, the Haslams are attempting to redevelop the lakefront. The Haslam Sports Group trotted out a huge nine-figure proposal <clears throat> for redoing the lakefront. But I didn't see anything about the stadium in that. And we've heard little buzzes throughout the years about the stadium and plans for that and, and all that. Uh, Lane, were you surprised to see the stadium sort of, you know, big stadium renovations not be part of this plan that they introduced uh, yesterday? No, it doesn't
1: surprise me. I mean, this, you know, this thing with developing the area around the stadium and the, the lakefront has been something that's been talked about for ages. And it's really yeah. a necessity because it's, just, it's such a waste of just prime real estate and beautiful area that they could really do something with for the city Know, for the people just to have somewhere that can con- uh, congregate it's just it's a waste so you know the haslams you know what they've done is that they've really pushed and went out of their way to put this together because this has really been more of a one-sided effort than it has been anything else i mean the city of cleveland will sit there with their arms open and yeah 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 you know what the haslams have been at the forefront of this of trying to do this and get something done to you know the beautify and make that area more accessible and you know have a purpose and what it is now. So I, I give them a lot of credit because it's it's a lot of work.
0: Yes, yeah, a lifelong Clevelander, Fred, or a longtime Clevelander. Uh, would you like to see this sort of development happen downtown?
2: Oh, absolutely. You know I've been down to Baltimore, the Inner Harbor, many times. It's beautiful. Walk down there to Camden Yards and and Raven Stadium. Um, you know, as Lane said, that is prime real estate also it's been used as a parking lot you know right on the lake i mean you could literally drive right if you park too close to the lake you could slide right into it they tore all that down for the draft all, a lot of those old buildings and now it's it's prime to to build and if they can connect and make it walkable and make a walkway you know so people can kind of hang around down there and not you know there's limited parking. It's always a problem. Yeah. I think I give them a lot of credit, you know, because, and even not mentioning or doing anything with the stadium, I think that's the least of the problems. If you could develop all around there, um, it could be a destination, you know, a lot of restaurants, a lot of, you know, things that connect downtown to even to the, to the lake down there. So yeah, I'm, I'm all for it.
0: You know, I'm, I'm really excited about it. Um, I, I haven't been excited for this, excited for a potential downtown project since Gateway. Uh, Gateway was a big deal in the early 90s. A lot of people for it, a lot of people against it. Uh, I'm sure that people will come out against this development, uh, primarily because it's going to cost a lot of money and they'll argue that that money can be better spent doing other things. But I would absolutely love to see it. Like you, Fred, I've been to cities where they've developed their, their lakefront. And uh, it just brings more money into the city. Uh, it makes it a better place to visit, all that sort of stuff. Uh, would love to see this happen. Uh, you know, I, raise, uh, I reserve the right to change my mind as I learn more about it. But at first glance, it looks fantastic. Another news item, uh, Cleveland <coughs> Browns signed James Hudson today uh, to, uh, to a rookie deal. So uh, we've got everybody from the fourth round on down signed. Is that right? Friend.
2: Yeah, I mean, that's what always happens is kind of the, the pecking order. You're still, you know, have, I think, Togi is the lowest. And he, he actually is lower. He was drafted with the second pick in the fourth round. Hudson was the first pick, if you remember. He was like the fifth pick on the third day when they mm-hmm. started. And so you probably see Togi, probably next in the fold and then it'll move right up the Schwartz, Jok And Newsom, but nothing, nothing surprise. It's not like the old days where they really had much to negotiate. It's pretty much, here's what you get. Do you want to, do you want it or not? And so, yeah, they're trickling in. I think the Browns just kind of doing that a little bit to have a little news, you know, and it helps us too. We, you know, we're able to put a story out on that today. (laughs)
0: Right. Yeah. A little bit of news for the slow, uh, slow news cycle. Uh, I just wanted to be prepared when the inevitable questions start showing up at ATI about why we haven't signed our guys. Uh, A couple teams have, I think signed everyone, but uh, the Browns aren't in any particular uh, bad situation with regard to signing their, their, uh, their players. As far as Hudson's concerned, um, Lane, what do you think the ceiling is for him or or his role this year? Is he strictly going to be a backup, or do you think this guy someday has starter potential?
1: I don't have any doubt in my mind that they see him as a guy who has starter potential, uh, very studious, takes in a lot of film, watches a lot of Joe Thomas on YouTube. Uh, He's big. He's athletic. He has good feet. He has clubbing hands, just very strong and aggressive, plays with a defensive-type mindset, being a former defensive lineman. Uh, just a very hes a physical present that can move a little bit, but he needs refined. He needs work on technique. And, you know, what better than to have a guy like Bill Callahan have his hands all over this guy coming into the National Football League.
0: Absolutely. That, uh, you know, if anybody's going to be able to develop raw talent, it is Mr. Callahan, that's for sure. Uh, let's talk about one other item before we get to questions. And if you are currently in the chat room, uh, please feel free to uh, fire off any questions for the gang here. Uh, You guys sort of control the the last 45 minutes of the show with your questions, so um, we've answered the dinosaur one, but if there are any others, just (laughs) let us know and we will try to answer them. I brought a bunch from the forums as well, as I I usually do. But one last news item, and that has to do with JOK and his health. Uh, He got a little media time, and the media started asking about his heart uh, which uh, you know showed up as an issue the day after he was drafted uh, by the uh, uh, day after he was drafted by the Browns. I thought it was a dead story, but apparently it wasn't. But the message continues to be there's nothing to see here. Uh, Lay, let me get your perspective. Do you think that this uh, whole fracas about JOK's health was mostly other teams sort of trotting out an excuse for passing over him? Uh, to the hometown fans, to, to mollify the hometown fans? Or do you think that there was at any time a legitimate concern about JOK's uh, health?
1: Initially, in the very beginning, there was some kind of question because there was some incomplete data and testing. Uh, you know, you get into the silly season, you get time to the draft time, and, you know, things come out, reports come out, get guys to drop a little bit, put teams in a better position to be able to nab a talent such as JOK. I mean, it's as simple as this. It is a non-story, and the sooner that people can get past the non-story aspect
0: that's being reported, the
1: better off everybody's going to be because it is a non-story.
0: Yeah, let's, uh, let's move on, folks. I, I don't think there's anything to see here. Uh, coming out of the chat room, a couple questions. Uh, uh, poise for duty. Uh, Asked about Sheldon Richardson, uh, we've talked about him before, and uh, he's still available. He's still out there. Fred, would you bring Sheldon Richardson in, or is that ship sailed?
2: Well, I think I think they're interested in him. You know, to me, that was the biggest question questionable move was the timing of it. I don't know the backstory if they approached him about renegotiating or just outright released him. You know, without talking with them, but they seem to say that they're on friendly terms. And I, I just think it's, yeah, it's what other opportunities does he have? And is he willing to come back for whatever the Browns offering? So many times you see guys, when they leave a team, they go somewhere else and maybe even sign for less just because it is a pride factor, especially a guy who's making top money to come back you know, for much less. So you can go somewhere else and take less and nobody really cares or knows, but it's going to be a matter of, you know, if he feels like, wow, this team is really ready to win. And I'm more interested in that kind of what you saw with the Tampa Bay guys, all their guys came back at much less money, you know, to keep the band together. So I don't know. They went out and signed a bunch of guys with the idea to me, especially with the Wilson what they paid him in drafting Togiai, you know, that they must feel the future, you know, they can develop. You still got to develop guys, but if, if he could come back, yeah, I'd like that because then that's a, to me, I thought he was the third best player on the defense last mm-hmm. year behind Garrett and Ward.
0: Yeah. He had a very good year last year. Um, Lane, do you think that was the last flash for Sheldon Richardson or do you think he could do that again? uh repeat his excellent performance from from last year uh should we be, go out to uh sign him again
1: well i don't see any reason why he couldn't perform to that level in, in 2021 now the question is going to come down to is what do the browns want to do when you look at what they've done so far in bringing in a togi uh signing an undrafted free agent wilson who really shouldn't have been there if it wasn't for injury and playing out of position uh, bringing in a malik mcdowell signing a Malik Jackson getting an Andrew Billings back, you know, it becomes a question is that, you know, how many numbers and how many spots do you have? I mean, it, it comes down to Richardson. It's going to come down to dollars and cents. Obviously there wasn't a meeting of the minds before he left here. Obviously there hasn't been a meeting of the mind since he's left here, not in Cleveland, not mm-hmm. in anywhere else. So the big question comes down to is that, you know, what is he expecting? And I don't expect the Browns to be a team that's willing to spend uh, excessive
0: dollars. Right. Right. Um, you know, I, I'm very intrigued with some of these players that they brought in. I'm very intrigued with Wilson. I'm very intrigued with McDowell. Um, I'm not, uh, you know, spending the hours pining for Sheldon Richardson. Uh, I think that they will do fine without him. Uh, if, And I, I think that's probably the perspective in Berea as well. If he wants to sign for something reasonable, then uh, sure, you know, why not talk to him again because he could probably perform at that same level again. But... Uh, uh, at this point, uh, 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 the the train has moved on from the station, uh, and uh, there's some very interesting players who are signed by the Browns uh, for us to take a look at. Uh, Malik. Uh, on the subject of Malik McDowell, I know you didn't get a lot of time to uh, to see him, Fred, uh, at rookie camp. You did say that he is a big fellow, uh, and uh, that uh, uh, he looked, you know, like you would expect a guy he originally picked in the second round to look. Did he look like he had uh, continued to uh, uh, be careful physically uh, and take care of himself and all that sort of stuff? Did he look like he was in, in good shape when you saw him?
2: Yeah, from what I saw, I mean, he looked tall and leaner. You know, he wasn't typical kind of those big gut guys. Mm. It might be because he's 6'6 and stretched out. But um, I'm just saying he looked he looked like a guy that – in all the years I've been covering, when guys show up in their first round or second round pick, there's just something about them usually, you know, unless they're Johnny Manziel. But, um, <laughs> you know, I had to get that in. But no, I mean, there's a reason the guy was picked, and not only in the second round. I mean, he was like the third pick in the second round. I think 35th overall. I think the whole question is, you know, is his life and his and where's he at? And this just seemed to me. An out of the box move by Andrew Barry. This isn't the type of move he hasn't really, in his short time here, hasn't really went for those type of guys that maybe have a little, you know, track record, you know, with the law and so forth. But they seem to feel he he was asked about it. He said they feel very good about it, and I just don't think the leash will be long. And I think he realizes, you know, what four years and he hasn't played it down. I mean, I think he he, he better be hungry and show what he can do quickly because I don't think they're going to spend a lot of time. But if you can catch uh, a Sheldon Richardson at 25 years old, then you got something there.
0: Right. Right. Absolutely. Uh, I thought he was going to be a monster when he entered the NFL um, and, uh, you know, I saw him against Ohio State and how dominant he was and, and thought the sky was the limit for this guy. Uh, obviously, uh, he's had a lot of issues, uh, and if he's overcome those, hopefully he still has the potential to uh, be uh, you know, part of what it looked like he was going to be when he graduated from college and when he when he was done with his college career. Well, he's um, proven to be a monster off the field, so let's see what the guy's in shape and in camp, let's see what he does. All right, fair enough. Let's see what he does uh Uh, on the practice fields. uh, And uh, hope that we don't hear of anything off the field. Uh, Brian Hallman asked a question in the chat room. Uh, He wants to know if the 2021 season will still use the expanded practice squad roster. I have to admit that I haven't heard anything about this. Uh, Fred, have you heard anything from the NFL about how big the practice squad is going to be yet? Or is that yet to be determined?
2: Yeah, I have not heard. I mean, last year was obviously covid cuz they they knew teams could lose a lot of guys in a hurry and i think if they feel that's behind them i don't see them having 16 as they did last year um cuz that's they're those guys are getting paid pretty good and i don't think the owners want to be paying 70 players you know when when you got a 53 54 55 man roster and then 16 practice squad guys so i i might see something in between i think it was 10 so that maybe they'll have 12 13 something like that
0: okay all right well we'll see nothing
2: official though i they haven't they haven't come out with any of that as far as i know
0: yeah i haven't heard anything about it either um and i can understand the owners wanting to uh, keep the payroll costs small uh, the average NFL team is now only worth about a billion and a half dollars after the pandemic last year. So uh, they're just scraping by and uh, need to keep those practice squads small, of course. Uh, let's go to a question we got from ATI from Jen of the Sheep. Uh, and this is a, an interesting question, and I'll send it to you, Lane. Uh, this is about Jonathan DeCoster. Who is a quality control coach? Mm-hmm. And the quality control coach has become a pathway for talented coaches to begin their NFL careers. Guys like uh, 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 Robert Salah. Is that how you pronounce it? Salah Salah. Um, you know, is there any buzz that this guy, uh, Jonathan DeCoster, is uh, an up and comer at all? Interesting
1: guy, very organized, very intelligent, um, quick witted, communicates well. Former offensive lineman who's been a tight ends coach at various stops. Uh, just a, just a guy who gets it. Um, Going to be interesting to see his development, like anybody else who comes on as a quality control coach. You know, they make a couple moves before they actually get to that point where you know they could be readied. Uh, definitely an interesting guy that they they like. They put a lot on, and he so far has been money for them.
0: I, I, the quality control title, I think, is really confusing. I know it was to me until I went and researched it a little bit. Uh, You know, I sort of thought it uh, was—I don't know—somebody overseeing practice and whether there were issues at at practice or something like that. But he's he's really more of a planner, isn't he? Um, I heard Buckeye battle cry there for a (laughs) second. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, uh, planner. More of a game planner. Yeah,
1: planner. Jack of all trades, checks the boxes. that's a little bit of everything, but has a heavy influence in hand on the operation when you get to that point, when you get to the weekend.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, we've got a couple of sort of related questions. D. Nineberg says, is it just me or anybody still amazed that we got uh, JOK at 52? I keep watching the tape and highlights and shake my head every time they've got him and Newsom. Uh, we also had a question Uh, from uh, ATI pointed to uh, U lane uh, was, you know, whether we, uh, and we also got it in the chat from Mike Bergermeister, uh, whether we traded up for JOK because we were afraid that the, that the Steelers would get him. Uh, Do you have any thoughts on that?
1: Same thing we talked about last week. Uh, Pittsburgh Pittsburgh was the target team that a lot of teams thought was going to be in position for him. Cleveland did the intel, Cleveland did the work they knew where they had to go to be able to have a chance to get jok a guy that they were interested in as a first round talent definitely a first round talent when you get down and you evaluate him uh could end up being one of the steals of the draft at 52 and a minimal move up to get him
0: yeah um you know if if we frustrated the Steelers, that's bonus points for andrew berry in in my view but uh Obviously, you're not going to hear that from the Steeler camp, or at least I haven't heard anything like that coming out of Pittsburgh, that they were specifically uh, aiming for JOK and were frustrated because the Browns got him, but they would never admit to something like that uh, That anyway. Uh, going back to the draft, Fred, uh, another question from Mike. He says, name one or two prospects that the Browns were disappointed that they missed. Uh, for example, it seemed like they wanted to get Nico Collins and had to sh- settle for Schwartz. Uh, any other guys that you can think of that you thought the Browns were, would really have loved to have seen on the team that they just weren't able to get?
2: Well, I think the, the, the Nico Collins, I don't know how high they were on him. I think they were, but because they watched Donovan Peoples Jones so much and were able to get him in the sixth round, you know, there was a guy that didn't have a great quarterback play in Michigan. So, it's a great talent and underutilized. And I think though Collins had, had, had more talent than maybe people's Jones. And so that's why he was such a hot commodity, but I don't know if they're disappointed. I mean, Lane probably knows more, a little more who they liked and didn't like, I didn't hear anything about, you know, any, any particular guy that they really wanted. I know that, there's a lineman, Quinn Miners, that Lane had talked about a lot. They'd worked out a lot. So, you know, I'll let him address a couple of those names maybe. You know, a couple, you. Names,
1: a couple of names Fred just mentioned or a couple of names that were in the equation. The only thing was is that when the Browns made the move from 52, it, you know, it changed the ball game for them. And, you know, you, you ended up getting to the point where he ended up getting this, this linebacker safety rover, whatever you want to call him, 52, and it just it changed the perception of what they had to do. They wanted to add speed. Uh, Schwartz argued easily he's the fastest guy that's on the board, you know, has, has a little problem with his hands that they really have to work on with him. But they wanted to get into this draft, and they wanted to get speed. They wanted to improve team speed, and, and they did that within those first three picks automatically. And Schwartz. While he may have some struggles here and there, he's going to provide that opportunity for coverage to be rolled and open up the underneath and give you that deep threat. And it's, I mean, it's a no brainer for what you're going to do because you just, you were so speed deficient, you had to make a move, and they did.
2: Well, and I think Jake, I think Jake and Ian did a thing on the jet sweeps and so forth. This is what Schwartz, you don't have to be a great pass catcher. If you can handle a two or three yard shovel pass, you're probably, you could use him and then send him deep and they have to send somebody to cover him. You just can't say, well, we're going to just hope he drops it, you know? So yeah, I think that's where they would start him out, you know, in those jet sweeps and you know, four, two speed. Okay. Come get me.
1: (laughs) You know, just, just that situation where you got it. Who's a guy who's just a burner, a guy Obviously, there's a role in this offense for because they were going to use JoJo Natson a season ago in some of those type of things before mm-hmm. his knee injury. So you're just looking at a situation where you're just adding speed. And, you know, that's one of the greatest equalizers in the NFL is speed. So they got the guy. Now let's see what they can do with him.
0: And uh, yeah, just to jump on top of Fred's point, if you haven't seen that jet sweep uh, or the jet player uh, uh, video, that Ian and Jake put together, uh, please go do it. You owe it yourself to visit the uh, OBR video YouTube uh, channel, uh, subscribe, and uh, you know uh, grab, uh, grab a view of that. It's only a couple minutes long, but very informative, I thought. Oh, yeah. See, uh, but- that,
1: that's, that was a tremendous piece of work that Ian and Jake did. And it, it just shows more of the evolution of what the collegiate game is, is bringing to the NFL you would think it's the other way around, but it's not. There's more evolution coming out of college into their pro ranks than there is the other way around. And it's, it's really a terrific piece for you guys who haven't really looked at it.
0: Yeah, uh, absolutely. Let's go to another question coming out of ATI. This is from Eco EcoEco, uh, and Dog 64 had a very similar question. Uh, uh, Eco is concerned that three of our top four uh, cornerbacks have durability questions. Uh, and he is... Uh, wondering if there are any rumors about signing a veteran cornerback for experienced depth, and situational play. Um, you know, the Browns are have had this incredibly highly rated uh, offseason. season. Uh, the draft went great, free agency went great. Uh, but, you know, in terms of holes on the roster, do you think, and let's start with you, Lane, do you think that the, that depth at cornerback is an issue we should be worried about given the injury? history of some of our cornerbacks
1: well anytime you have cornerbacks with with injury issues or rookies or undrafted free agents that are going to be in their second season that are going to have a chance to compete you have to think about it and you have to have some kind of reservations and concerns the only problem is is right now we got free agents sitting out there that are still in the show me the money mode and you know right now teams just aren't giving up that money it's just not happening and you, you look at the browns a season ago and their struggles and you know you were looking at it Team that was playing their fifth, sixth, seventh, and eighth cornerbacks at times on the field. So, you know, this isn't something that is just barely unknown to them, and they don't understand it. You know, Denzel Ward, while he's had some issue, is played. Greg Newsome had some issue, he has is played. Greedy Williams is a big question mark, and he's a guy, they're not sitting there, you know, putting all their chips in on, they're going to see what happens with him, but You know, you're in a situation that you're going to get closer to training camp and you're going to see some of these guys who are out there and that are available or I'm going to signing cheap one year deals because they're going to get in camp and they want to get paid right now. It's just, you know, just holding,
0: holding tight and just wait for the right deal to come along. The, uh, the longer the Browns wait, uh, if these guys aren't getting snapped up, if it's a buyer's market, uh, the more the price goes down and the easier the salary cap is to manage. So it makes uh, total sense. Uh, sort of a a, uh, uh, a similar question from Crazy Dog. Uh, and he's talking about Ryan Kerrigan, who I know is a guy that, that you've mentioned a few times, Fred. Um, he recently uh, signed with the Eagles. Uh, and Crazy says that he looks at him uh, as a perfect roster move, typical of contenders covering their butts in case of industry injury. Uh, he asked whether there were thoughts or whispers on him, or other signings at other positions, such as offensive tackle, that might make sense for the Browns?
2: Well, I think that, you know, a lot of it will be like Lane says in training camp. You remember last year, Malcolm, or excuse me, Mac Wilson injured his knee like the first day of training camp. They brought in Malcolm Smith immediately. He ended up being the second leading tackler on the team. There's guys like that this year out there. There's several cornerbacks. Um, right now, you know like Carrigan yeah I thought he might have been guy in the mix but then they they were able to get clowney and so here's a guy that Lane might know more than me but I think Olivier Vernon it's kind of an ace in the hole he's a guy with a ruptured Achilles if he's reha- he's got a good relationship with the Browns he's a he's you know, if he's not going to be sought after because he probably can't play till at least middle of the season. And so they may have him in the back pocket thinking, hey, if you get rehabbed, we'd like to bring you in for depth, you know, or that second half of the season, maybe a push, you know, for the playoffs and, and him being fresh could be a help there. So there's guys like that, um, but I don't think they're, yeah, right now they, they cut Richardson to save that money. So I don't think they're going to go out and spend a lot of money right now. It's going to be plug holes. It'd be ideal if you could get a Steven Nelson that wants to show the Steelers what they missed, you know, on a one-year deal and bring him in and say, hey, I want to stick it to the Steelers. You guys, I'm with you, you know, or, or guys like that. And so I just think they're sitting back and they're in the driver's seat. I think by adding Troy Hill and Greg Newsome, Now you have four corners. We know that Ward's slight. We know Williams is slight. But last year you were depending on, you know, Kevin Johnson and Terrence Mitchell. So now if Ward's out, you got three other guys. If Williams is out, you got three other guys. If you know, if Hill's out, you got three other guys. And I think AJ Green and some of these guys, they could be developing. Yep. So they avoid that situation of be playing the sixth, seventh, eighth corner. But I still wouldn't put it past them to bring in a veteran that you could plug in immediately, you know, you know, at the slot, like Brian Poole or Steven Nelson. Just depends, like Lane said, how much do they want? Are they willing to just say, okay, I'll come in, chance to show what I can do, win some games, and see and do a prove it contract.
1: Right, and, and the thing is, too, is Fred talks about the dollars, you know. But also, you're going to look at guys like Steven Nelson and Brian Poole, guys that are starters in this league, and arguably there's not a starting spot for these guys, and they'd have to be a role player. And how much do they really want to be a role player when there's an opportunity? Maybe they can go start somewhere and you know prove themselves again to show that they deserve that contract following the 2021 season. It's just it's, a, it's going to be a delicate situation to just see who's going to be left standing there when it comes time start making these deals but as fred said i wouldn't it would not surprise me if they brought in a veteran presence play and plug in out of necessity but i don't think that they feel all that bad where they are right now because they do like a guy like aj green it's going to be interesting
0: right and each week that goes by the price goes down you know and by uh, training camp the prices uh of bringing these guys in uh will be uh pretty manageable um uh, uh by that time Uh, Lane, I'm going to point another question to you. This is from Tochigi in the Insiders. Uh, He says, We know Stefanski likes fullbacks, but in Mm -hmm. fact, how often did a fullback see the field last year? Is this a wasted roster space that can be filled by a tight end?
1: Well, anytime that you're looking at roster spots and you're getting down to the nitty gritty where you've got to make a decision, you know, it's always tough. But the only problem is that when this offensive scheme, you know, multiplies, Tight ends and a fullback. That's how this offense is constructed. That's how it is schemed. That's how it is used. And you know the fullback is used in this offense. It's not an exclusive thing, but it happens. You have a tight end that can be as an H back type. Is going to be able to play in that role and and block effect, uh, effectively. We don't know. I'm not. I mean, I'm not too positive about that. When you look at the how the, the room is comprised. So. Being said, you know, in Stefanski's offense and where a fullback is actually slotted, I it's something that I wouldn't mess with until there was a necessity to do so.
2: I want to weigh in on that. I'm gonna, I'm gonna get on my soapbox. Is that <laughs> I wrote about this last year? You got Kareem Hunt. And you got Nick Chubb. Both of them like playing together. Both of them like blocking for each other. I cannot believe that you cannot have a package with those two guys together and one be the lead blocker for the other one as opposed to a fullback who does nothing but block. I don't think the drop-off would be that much. Maybe I'm dead wrong that Nick Chubb is way worse of a blocker than what Andy Janovich does or Kareem Hunt, but I just think it would be valuable to have that duo threat that they don't know who's going to block, who's going to go out, you know, who's going to run the ball. I think they have to have a package for them two together on the field at the same time. Might Kevin Mack, Ernest Biner, nobody worried about who was blocking. They both block for each other, and I still think both of those guys can block enough. That you wouldn't have the fall off you do when Janovich is out there. They know he's doing nothing but block. You know, once in a while they try to throw him a pass, but I would surely like. And I ask Stefanski that multiple times last year: is can't you find a way to use those two together? Freddie Kitchens, for all the things he did wrong, he used those two guys together a lot better than what I saw last year. That's all yeah. I have
1: to say about it. <laughs> I, I just think that they're so so scheme geared, and you know, I don't think that they've really gotten too far out of the box when it comes to that. I mean, anytime you see them both on the field, they weren't in the backfield together. You see one in the one in the backfield and you see hump, hump split, not wide. I mean, it was just there was no you know, no diversity or versatility in the deal. Well, it's going to be interesting to see what happens in camp to see if you know if that's going to be part of the evolution of what this offense is.
0: Now, Brian Hallman makes the argument in the chat room that the fullback saves wear and tear on uh, Chubb and Hunt. Uh, that's another perspective that uh, you can rest yeah, those but guys you a don't, little
2: bit. I'm not saying full time. I'm saying, mm-hmm. you right. know, a package and show that to the defense, you know. They got to account for both those guys, especially in goal line situations. You know, what did we see last year when – Mayfield fumbled that ball on a quarterback sneak, put Hunt and Chubb, you know, in a split formation. Even if one just sprints to the left and one sprints to the right, that corner has to go with them. And that corner is the guy that came in and hit Mayfield and caused him to fumble in that yeah. game at the end on fourth down or whatever it was when he fumbled the ball on the sneak and they lost the game. Yeah, right? I'd,
1: I'd right? just be surprised if we don't see them in the same backfield as something. I can't fathom, you know, what what negative aspect there is in that. I just, mm. it doesn't, it just makes no sense to me. So I, me personally, just having a little bit of an idea of what how football's played, I would expect to see those guys at some point in the same backfield.
0: Well, I was uh, about to make a Maurice Carthon uh, fullback pass reference, but then I realized that is about 17 years old now. And That's a lot crayons, of people right? wouldn't even <laughs> remember what the heck I was talking about. But uh, Maurice did believe in uh, using uh, fullbacks as passers uh, to uh, terrifying effect. Um, okay, if we get more questions in the chat room, we will jump on those. In the meantime, let us go to back to ATI. Uh, and this is a subject that we talked about a little bit at the start of the show, Fred. Uh, 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 this comes from WOPR, Whopper, I guess. <laughs> uh, he says in 2020, all teams were on equal footing with virtual OTAs and off-season training. So, with Treader saying the Browns will stay away, does this start to become an issue as the offseason continues? Will we know the attendance? What the attendance of other teams are, and will that impact players' decisions? Um, from from your perspective, uh, does this in fact put us at a competitive disadvantage, Fred?
2: Well, I don't know if it's a disadvantage. I, I'm, I'm not. I'm other proponent. I don't think you'd need to be doing this year round. You know, you saw last year. You know, it wasn't too much of a drop off, in my opinion. So I kind of tend to agree with Tretter that they don't need to be doing 12 months a year. They've just kind of created this. But that said, if everybody else is doing it, you're gonna get you're gonna be behind a little bit just because. um, And I think that was his idea: is nobody's doing it, not. Some teams are and some teams aren't. they got to stay united on that front. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I don't think football in, in April and May means a whole lot, you know, other than for these rookies. This is their chance to learn the curve and uh, to show what they have because, you know, when you don't have an offseason, the training camp, like last year, they didn't have much of a chance other than the, the draft picks who kind of have favored – position because the guy picking the roster drafted him. Whereas undrafted guys and guys from previous regimes didn't have a lot of, you know, opportunity to show because they had no preseason games. And this year you're gonna have some preseason games. So I don't I don't necessarily think that they need to be here now. And so it'll it'll this will be kind of like a nobody wants to cause a civil war amongst their own team. And mm. so it's, it's going to be who's the leaders and who follows who.
0: Yeah, you know, for, um, you know, one part of Whopper's question has to do with will we know what's happening with other teams? I think we're already seeing that we will. Uh, you know, we heard that the Jets have a lot of players showing up, that the Dolphins have a lot of players showing up. And uh, as a result, that might put a little bit of pressure on other members of the Browns. We'll just have to wait and see how this all develops and if Tretter can get all those, you know, players uh, reined in to uh, not participate in person uh, in these OTAs. And even here in Cleveland, you know, even though Tretter is uh, on the team, uh, we're hearing something about some players appearing. So, um Let's uh, go back to the chat room, if I can. And Matt Wayne asked a question, uh, and I'll point this one to you, Lane. He asked, do you see Joku getting a larger target share this year?
1: I absolutely believe so. I think he's the best tight end on the roster. When he, Everything's going to be said and done. Best size, best athleticism, motivated. Uh, guy has something to prove last year of his contract. Guy who can get down the seam. Doesn't have to be just a guy who's playing in that short, underneath game like what we've seen a lot more of Hooper doing, him and Jarvis Landry. So, you know, when you get right down to it, David Njoku is a viable target and a weapon that this offense can use, especially with the additional speed added. So I, I expect to see more Njoku barring injury.
0: And he sounds increasingly committed to the Cleveland Browns. You know, it it's not that big a deal, but yesterday there was – Bleacher Report, I think, put out one of these 10 trades that need to happen before the deadline type articles, you know, so that people have to click through 10 pages and they get more advertising views. But I'm, I'm a cynical web dork. I'm sorry. But in in the course of that article, uh, there was one trade that was David Njoku for a fourth round pick. And Njoku answered on Instagram, I ain't going nowhere, right? So he's sounding more and more like he's committed to being a Cleveland Brown.
2: Yeah, and I think as he should, you know, he could have, you know, even last year been a little more for, and just, you know, if you go out and you do what you can do, you're going to be used. You're going to be paid. All the things will take care of themselves. And, you know, he kind of threw a stink, you know, after they got Harrison Bryant and and, uh, Alex Hooper. Austin Hooper, but as far as, yeah, everything I'm hearing is, you know, he is buying in, and he should, because he could have a great year, and then he has the leverage. Up until now, he really doesn't have a lot of leverage. I mean, right. a fourth-round pick, I mean, I, I think that he had all the town, it's just been a question, is he motivated? And I think they will use him if he, if he continues to work at it, and and goes out, I think he finished against the Chiefs as the best receiver in that game. And, right. and he really could be their best. I said it before last year with Odell Beckham, Jarvis Landry, Kareem Hunt, Nick Chubb, Austin Hooper. They can't cover everybody. If you're out there, maybe you're getting a sixth, seventh defensive cover guy on you. You ought to be able to light them up.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. It would be fun to see that. Obviously, that uh, uh, Joku being covered by a linebacker, and you know, best of luck uh, with that. Um, let's go to uh, uh, a question. Another question from Kim Dodd six sixty four. He asks uh, whether we have health updates in on Greedy Grant and OBJ. None of those guys were at the rookie camp, right? Certain injured players from last year are allowed to participate in rookie camp. But well, we didn't see any of those guys, did we? Fred. The
2: only rostered guys there that weren't considered rookies was Malik McDowell because he's mm. still considered a first-year player because he's never played a down in the NFL game. And uh, Kyle Markway, a tight end. Right. So in the past, the Grant pits, the injured guys always were at those. There was always 40 to 50 guys at those rookie mini camps. There was like... 15 undrafted free agents, 7-8 draft picks, and like 20 tryout guys, plus right. injured guys from the year before. So um, everything I've heard is Del Pitt is ahead of schedule. Williams says he's cleared. I don't know if officially the team has said he's cleared mm-hmm. or if they would. Um, and the biggest thing with the nerve issue, you're not going to know till he – he has contact in training camp because you, mm. unless somebody stands there and hits him or punches him, you really don't know how it's going to react when it's hit. So, you got Williams Delpit, and I don't remember who the third one was. They asked OBJ. about. Okay. Yeah. every He's posting videos all the time showing him running straight ahead. It, you know, looks like him, his old self. So, no, I think they're all expecting to be ready for training camp for sure.
0: Lane, let's talk a little bit about OBJ. As Fred referenced, he's putting those, uh, you know, Instagrams out there of him, you know, mm-hmm. taking off like a jackrabbit. and uh, But he is coming back from an ACL. I mean, how common is it for someone at his age to come back from an ACL successfully, quickly, and be like nothing ever happened? Um, well, the
1: age, is, age isn't really a factor. It's going to come down to the work that he puts in and the condition he's in. Okay, Um, OBJ after the surgery, when he was in the the first 30% of his rehab was in the top two percentile in ACL recovery, which means he was in a tremendous place on where he was. And the understanding is, is that there has been no drop off from there. He is an, an absolute physical marvel for what he's going through right now with an ACL. And, you know, doing the rehab, he's doing some short area one cuts. You know, that's something that you know over the next four weeks or so, you're going to see more and more happening. You know, there there's a solid chance that you're going to see him on the field opening date. September. He's just that type of athlete, and he's you know just that type of phenomenon when it comes to a guy who just works and works. He's as diligent as it gets. Um,
0: I you know I had myself talked out of seeing much out of OBJ until the second half of the season. You're you're getting me excited here. That uh, just,
1: barring barring a setback, he is. He is more than ahead of schedule. Grant Delpit is ahead of schedule. You know, these are guys that are going to be ready to be on the field come late July in training camp. It's just going to be monitoring them and, you know, just working them through the process of getting back out there and running and hitting and everything else. But right now, they're in a good place.
0: Fantastic. That is good to hear. Hey, we got one minute left. Uh, let's do one more question. Uh, this comes from Jim from Ohio. And he asked what a Baker Mayfield extension looks like today. Any thoughts on that, Fred?
2: Well, you know, with with the salary cap jumping next year, just knowing what I know about Mayfield, he just seems like the guy that wants to bet on himself and say, hey, let's put it off and go out. And he wants to have a monster year. And then, you know, like where there's just no question on what, you know, where he comes in on that. But I think – if he's smart, he's got to look around all these guys on his team, the weapons he knows that they all have, you know, to have those weapons, they got to be paid too. If he takes a little less than going for the top, you know, how it always works. The next guy signed at quarterbacks, the highest Mm -hmm. paid ever. Um, If he just is a little bit reasonable and says, I'd rather, keep OBJ and some of these other guys, then then I think that, you know, all, all said and done, they'll get it done. I just don't know if it'll be – I don't know the timing. I'm sure they're talking to him and his agent and trying to figure out the best time dollar-wise to do it.
0: Lane, any thoughts on, uh, on that, on what an like extension looks like?
2: Well, no, I mean, I agree with
1: what Fred said. I mean, he, he's a guy who's mm-hmm. going to bet on himself. He has no problem doing that. And you're talking about a time and point of the year right now that it's really not something that you're going to get into heavy discussions. Anyways, you're going to wait till you get through these little camps and everything and you have a lull in the summer. And that's usually when you start seeing talks between agents and, and teams, you know, pick up. And so the opportunity is there for that to happen here in the next month or so. But, you know, sitting here today, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't put any money on it saying it's going to happen because I don't think it has to happen. And I don't think either side is in a rush.
0: All right. All right makes total sense, guys. Uh, And that is it for this week's OBR Weekly. Uh, Thank you so much, Fred and Lane, for your uh, wisdom and perspective. Uh, We will be back again next week. Uh, The quality of the broadcast will be incredibly improved because I will not be here. Uh, Hopefully, you'll be able to find a competent host between this week and next week uh, and uh, uh, have a much better broadcast. We'll see that. Uh, But uh, I will be watching uh, from a remote point and enjoying next week's OBR Weekly. Stay tuned. We'll see you again then. Bye-bye, folks.
2: Thanks, everybody.
0: We'll see you.